After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. The offseason continues. Josh, I know you've been doing a great job with the countdown to next year with the officials' numbers on how many days remain until the start of the next season. We're well into July now, and I know it's not going to be long that we're both going to be saying, hey, where did the summer go? And, and, and as we get towards the start of the season, things are going to pick up. There's going to be more news items. There's going to be more things happening. There's going to be more camps and training camp and all that kind of stuff. And then pretty soon it's like, hey, the season's here. I know it's amazing how quickly it goes. I, summer used to be so long when I was a kid, and now it just seems to go fast. We're into the high linesman numbers of countdown. Pretty soon we'll be into the referee numbers of countdown, and then it'll be single digits. And I, I just want to enjoy the summer. But, man, we've gone from getting ready for camps and officiating programs to actually hearing back from some of the officials who've taken part on how things went. Yeah. We're on the home stretch, it feels like, which is crazy. But now we start getting into looking ahead to next season, officiating changes, maybe rule changes in some of these leagues. I don't know. But I can see, Todd, uh, September, October on the horizon getting here quickly. Funny you mention a rule change. I did have another thought. It's one that's come up before, and I'll get to it. I'll save it uh, for a little bit later. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you follow us on our social channels. You get Josh at Scouting the Refs on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, and now on Threads too, right, Josh? Are, are oh, we yes. all on Threads all around? Should we, hey. should we promote that platform as well? Threads too. Yeah, we got got to keep... Uh all the social platforms engaged there. So if you are on threads, definitely follow us there as well. Keeping up on the content. Never know where things are going to go, Todd, right? You got to hedge your bets. <laughs> There's really no getting away from this is what, what that really means. On, on this week's episode, BCHL says bye-bye. NHL officiating supervisors having European vacations. What Dan O'Rourke is doing on his summer vacation. And we've got a nice little shout out to the refs. And as I said, I'm going to save a little slight change tweak in the rules if you will for uh, a little bit later on so the bchl british columbia hockey league has been making an awful lot of news lately because they are now going to be an independent hockey league and that has all kinds of ramifications brad lazar which is going to join us in another podcast this summer they're just kind of getting all their their ducks in a row but this has significant implications for both players and for officials doesn't it josh it does you've got a situation where you have bc hockey which is the organization that's part of canada and overseeing hockey in the province and then you have the bchl which has become independent so players officials are now forced to basically make a decision between the two an official that wants to take part in the bchl and you get some great opportunities there it's a it's a great league they have lots of players that go on to the ncaa and move on to to other leagues and organizations so it's a good group they've got some great supervisors this year with shane hire jay sharers kelly sutherland coming on board to help mentor their group of officials 
But those officials, once committed to the BCHL, are then ineligible to work in BC hockey. And even if they wanted to coach their kids' team, if they're part of BC hockey, they're ineligible for that. It also makes them ineligible to participate in international tournaments, IIHF events. So it's really a tough spot for officials in the province where they're they're forced to choose one side or the other, which to me, it's it's a shame because you not that you want to play both sides of it, but you're an official in that province and you want to take advantage of the opportunities. And I think hockey in general, we want to develop the best officials and give them those opportunities to to grow and develop. And by picking sides, I don't I don't see that that's necessarily giving us or our officials the, the best opportunity to continue to develop. It's kind of unfortunate how sometimes these divides come up in different leagues and different jurisdictions, because you're right, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're uh, an on-ice official, you want to be able to have as many opportunities as possible. You want to explore and and look at new ways to develop your skills. And if you can officiate more games, then it gives you, I would think, a greater opportunity. Right. And if I'm looking from the next level up, if I'm junior hockey, if I'm minor pro, I I want guys who've put in the time, who've had that experience and and maybe had those opportunities to work all these different games. So how do I then pick when when guys have been forced to choose? You're evaluating talent, but not all the talent's going to have the same experience or the same opportunities. And it, it definitely makes it harder for those guys to grab a foothold as they try to advance in their officiating careers. We'll see how this develops with the BCHL. As mentioned, uh, Brad Lazarwich will join us uh, in an upcoming episode of the podcast. This is the time of year where there are camps, where there are other endeavors to help grow the officiating fraternity as well, not just in North America, but internationally. And a number of NHL supervisors have been participating or have participated in a camp in Budapest, Hungary, you got the lowdown on this one, Josh. There's a lot of big names that have gone over to Europe to help grow the sport of officiating, if you will. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff, actually, that the NHL took part in this summer exposure combine over in Hungary. We had Stephen Walcom over there, along with Mike Lego, Al Kimmel, and some of the officiating managers to help support the camp, provide instruction, coaching feedback. And these were international guys from all over. So good for the NHL for having that outreach to have that arm into Europe and to see what they can contribute to help grow the officiating of the sport over there. And who knows, maybe you pick up some some good high potential names along the way. We've had European officials before. We had Marcus Vinterberg. We had Evgeny Romasko. We have Libor Suchanek, linesman, who is the only full-time European official in the NHL. Why not find some more potential candidates? Why not increase that pool? And, and maybe you find your next referee or linesman coming from Europe. It's interesting now that I think about it. We've had players coming from from Europe and and far away for decades now, and it's a wonder that we have not had more officials come from all over the world to be part of the NHL. Yeah, you would think there'd be a higher representation there. It's just I'm not sure what the the challenge is. I know some have had a hard time adjusting when they've come over, whether it's league support, whether it's adapting to a new place, whether it has to do with the travel. I mean, it's it's definitely a different experience as an official than it would be as a player where you're part of a team and you have a whole organization supporting you and handling a lot of what's going on there. You're, I don't want to say you're on your own a little bit more, but you are traveling independently and there's there's a lot more demands on the official as an individual than necessarily a player as part of a team. So You would think that we would have some that would have been able to make the jump and come over as full-time officials. There are certainly plenty of talented double IHF guys. We see officials that work 
yearly in the world championships or that we've seen at multiple Olympics. So the talent is definitely there. Maybe it's just uprooting coming overseas. Maybe it's the scheduling. It's being away from family. There's a lot of demands. So I, I don't want to say that it would be uh, impossible for them to do it. But it's surprising, Todd, that more haven't been able to make the transition or, or simply wanted to make the transition. Maybe this is the next step. Maybe this is where that one opening that we have this season, Mark Jeanette retired, we've got a referee spot and, and maybe they find that guy in Europe. Perhaps the path isn't quite as clearly defined as well for officials to move up and travel from Europe to North America the way it is here, where it's it's junior hockey or college hockey, maybe move to the ECHL or the American Hockey League before getting to the NHL. It's a it's it's not as clear a path, I don't think. Might be a contributor. Yeah, that for sure is a part of it. It's it's the path up. It's even the rule book change. Now the IIHF has done a lot in recent years to align more with the NHL rule book, both in some of the language and in how the book is organized from the rule numbers now matching up. And then that aligns with what we see at the ECHL and the AHL level. So maybe that helps to ease the transition a little bit. And, and the more that all these rule books can align, the easier it would be for an official to move back and forth. But we've seen there's the nuances, the way the game is called, and certainly some of the big rule changes and, and differences that are in there always factor in to, to make that transition just a little bit tougher. Good for the NHL for sending so many supervisors over there to help spread the knowledge and, as you say, maybe bring some more officials in this direction in the future as well. More good that the NHL and officials are doing. How about this one, though? NHL referee Dan O'Rourke is not taking the summer off. Um, he, along with a host of others, are participating in a huge fundraising effort to help aid blind children. Dan's father, Tom, suffers from a rare eye issue and has been legally blind for many years, but he never let that slow him down, and he's been an inspiration to Dan. So, Dan is cycling, you ready for this, 2,700 miles along Route 66 from Santa Monica to Chicago, plans to do it in 42-ish days, going 50 or 55 or so miles per day. He's going to begin this journey at the end of July, continue until just after Labor Day, and that's right before he's going to head into NHL training camp for officials in the fall. What a, what an amazing gesture by Dan O'Rourke. <laughs> and we always joke that these guys don't get summer off because you're training, you're going, you're, you're, you're <laughs> keeping that fitness up. But O'Rourke taking it to a, a totally different level. And it's been a short summer for him as it is. He worked the Stanley Cup final. So his sixth Stanley Cup final, he's got over what 1,500 games combined regular season and playoffs. So a lot of miles on O'Rourke. And then he's putting a lot of miles on his bike this summer. So it, it, it should be a good way for him to stay in shape, a great way to help raise awareness and raise money and be ready for training camp because it'll be here before we know it. But man, I can't imagine. California to Chicago is, is quite a long haul. So despite all the training and the, the high physical level these guys are already at. I don't know if O'Rourke's ready to ride the bike that far, man. That's a, that's a different set of muscles. It's a different set of endurance uh, requirements to go along with that bike ride. So uh, definitely a huge undertaking for him. And with all the, the reason to do it, a uh, great motivation for him to get across the country. Should be fun. I'm I'm thinking he is clearly going to pass the the cardio test when <laughs> NHL officials arrive at camp. Do they do like the the biking oxygen test the way they do at the combine for officials? Because clearly he'd pass that as well. <laughs> they absolutely do. Yeah, when those guys show up in Buffalo for camp, they go through that in, entire rigor of, of testing and uh, fitness testing and where your standards are and what your oxygen levels are and all that. So he will be going through it. And I think you're right, Todd, the, the bike will be old hat for him at that point. <laughs> no question. 
question. Okay, so we often read a lot of, shall we say, criticisms of officials and officiating. There's an interesting section in a piece by Sarah Sivian, who writes for Bleacher Report, an interesting piece about the offseason and some of the things that have taken place, some things that are done well, some some gains, if you will, by the league. And unlike many media folks that simply beat down the stripes at every opportunity, her tone was quite different. To sort of summarize it, she's suggested that an area that really needs to be looked at is to update and modernize the rule book. It hasn't evolved as quickly as the game has. It's so much faster, so much different than so many of the rules written into the rule book. And also, once and for all, perhaps we decide what level of enforcement we want to see in the NHL because there are so many that talk a great game of, well, if it's a penalty in the first period of a preseason game, then it should be a penalty in overtime of game seven of the Stanley Cup final. And that doesn't always play out exactly that way. So I and I think the way she kind of wraps this up is is quite nice. And the quote is, as this league makes huge strides on and off the ice. I hope they treat officiating with the same respect. I thought that was a really good summary of how to approach this in the future. Yeah, I think she nailed it there. And I, I think giving the officials the tools to do the job well is probably the best way the league can support that, whether that's technology, whether it's the way we handle the review process or whether it's puck tracking that helps them get the call right on certain situations or knowing when a puck crosses a line. I feel like as the game grows, the best way for them to support the officials is, is by helping them make the right calls. And like she said, the rule book is a huge part of that. We've seen, Todd, how many times we've gone through over the course of the years and, and tried to break down a rule or break down a situation and see that this rule applies, but then we need to kind of explain why this part doesn't apply or how these situations are different when you've got a kicked puck or you have a situation with goaltender interference, and it doesn't always seem to make sense on the surface. And some of that is in the book itself, as much as the judgment calls that people are making. So what is that standard and, and what is the rule and how can we either clean it up to make it a little easier to understand and then easier to interpret or less complex? And then where do we draw the line? Maybe that is a rule change. Maybe it's just a, a rewording. But I think her point about where penalties are being called, we all say that we want the same penalty standard from game one of the regular season through game seven of the Stanley Cup final. But then when it happens, everybody's up in arms. Mm -hmm. How is that a penalty? It's overtime. But I, I thought we wanted it that way. So yeah, maybe it's uh maybe it is a rule book change. Maybe it's a cleanup. But I, I think we have to be careful of where the expectation is. You go too far, you change the rule book and it would be much more black and white if we waved off every goal where a player was in the crease. But a lot of goals were scored legally with a player in the crease. And and I think maybe some memorable goals happened with a player in the crease that maybe we don't yes. want to reopen that can of worms. Wearing a green jersey. Yeah, uh, yeah but I digress. The um, uh, but, but you're right. I think we want to try to make it as it's either the light is on, the light is off. It's black or it's white. We want to try to eliminate the 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 gray area, but that's that's almost impossible. But as you, as you pointed out, so many of the rules in the in the NHL rulebook include the phrase "except when," and I think that causes <laughs> us difficulty. It does. And some are straightforward, and then some you'll look at a different clause or a different section where there's a different standard that's applied. You know, did did the puck go directly to a teammate, or was it directed to a teammate, or which player played the puck next? All of those 
apply differently in different situations when you're determining whether to blow the whistle, whether to call a penalty. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to standardize things in there and, and clean it up. But it's, again, just a matter of how much should be consistent, how much does that improve the game, and, and how much does that black or white have some unintended consequences where we see, hey, that should have been a good goal, but oh, wait, we changed the rule. Now it's not, even though all logic says it should be. It, it yeah. becomes harder. You know, Do we allow all kicked goals? Do we allow no goals when a player's in the crease? I think those would make it much easier from an officiating standpoint, but then it, it starts to become difficult from a, a fan standpoint of thinking that that was a good goal. That guy didn't interfere. I mean, how many times have we heard people say offside didn't matter. He was offside. He didn't affect the play. Well, that's what a black and white rule would do. Fair point, but good for Sarah Sivian of Bleacher Report too. Let's at least engage in the discussion and see where we can help these officials uh, yes. moving forward. Thank you, Sarah. Since Thank you for your support. We appreciate it. Okay, so since you mentioned changing of rules, there's one that's been suggested numerous times previously. I don't know if it would have quite the same impact or it would have a different impact now because of some other rule changes that take place, but the simple act of only allowing line changes on the fly has been suggested on more than one occasion. Now teams are sometimes penalized and not allowed to change lines if they ice the puck and the like. But maybe it's something worth revisiting. It would certainly speed up the game if line changes were only allowed uh, while the play is in motion and not after whistles. That is an interesting take. I, I think the official scorers all around the league at the 32 buildings have all just applauded you, Todd, for uh, mentioning <laughs> that one. <laughs> now they, they can keep it the same. There's a whistle. They can just put their hands back to have a sip of coffee, relax for a second because all the guys are still staying out there. That's an interesting one. I mean, we look at how much time is spent by the referees watching the line change and making sure as guys are going on and off the ice uh, that it's a good change or monitoring for those situations when, like you mentioned, you can't make a change, whether it's an icing or a puck stopped by the goalie that was shot beyond center or any of those situations where the guys need to stay out there on the ice for the next play. That all goes away. Everybody stays out there and you change on the fly and potentially open up some ice when you want to make those changes to get the right pairings out there. I think the home teams are going to be disappointed. They no longer get last change because nobody gets a change anymore. True so enough. Some of that gamesmanship goes, well, I don't want to say out the window, but it changes completely because now you're adjusting instead of having the ability to take advantage on a face-off. That's, it's an interesting take. I'm trying to think of, uh, of uh, speeding up the game is nice because now you can get to those face-offs so much more quickly because there is not an opportunity for guys to go off the ice, which means you can't stall, which means we get action faster. Uh, boy, those TV timeouts will be super critical in your, in your rule change there, Todd. I absolutely would. And I suspect with players remaining on the ice and maybe a little more tired and fatigued here and there, we're going to get more offense and more goal scoring. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of any other benefits. But I, I know from an officiating standpoint, it's one less thing to keep track of when it comes to uh, the end of a shift or when it comes to drawing a whistle of having to play the game a little bit differently and, and the coaches on having to coach it differently. I think this is a good one. It's a late for summer camps now, but maybe we can get this one in training camp. Maybe the ECHL, somebody can give it a shot, see how it works out in, uh, in those preseason games and report back. See, that's, that's, that's the other. It's like, no, 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 let's just do it. Let's just, no, yes. no, no committees, no studies, no nothing. Let's just do it, line up and go. Good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. 
Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's a nicely done. That's good work.